You are listening to Ideas and Leaders podcast. I'm Elena Paventa, Executive Communication Coach and TEDx Organizer. With each episode, I'll share with you communication tips and ideas from top business leaders to help you excel in your career. Hello, everyone. Today, I have a great guest on our next Ideas and Leaders podcast. It is Ken Landin, and he is an expert in sales. He's helping companies to adapt to the new environment and to adapt their sales strategy. He helps companies with their communication. And today, we are going to speak about this, how to adapt to difficult times that we're having right now in business. Hi, Ken. It's great to have you on the podcast. Well, hello. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me to come on and uh, I'm looking forward to having a talk. So, Ken, I know that you're helping businesses to adapt to new environment, to grow their sales, but what is your story? How did you start doing what you do? I can make it a much more tolerable answer. So I'll make it nice and brief for what it can be. So, you know, like anyone didn't go to college and say, I'm going to be in sales. That sounds awesome. I went to college and said, man, how do I graduate quickly and get a job? So fast forward and essentially, you know, where kind of my passion is driven from is kind of the following thing, you know, about 10 years ago, I was answered the door and I had my, you know, then 12 year old wrapped around my leg and somebody had bought my house in an auction. For those of you in the United States, you might remember that was the Great Recession. And they had this weird thing going on where you could refinance your house, but you had to be late. So you had to not make your payments forever in order to get it refinanced. And I owned a business at the time. And so we were struggling in that Great Recession like many. And then one side of the bank knew we were doing the refinance, one side didn't. And so that was uh, early December of 2011. And so if you fast forward past that and kind of that having to explain to my family, we had to move in the next three weeks over Christmas and, and those types of things. As I recovered from that emotionally, what I really realized is I didn't want anyone else to ever experience that. You know, and the number one way that we don't experience that is by, you know, having enough customers who value our products and are willing to pay for our services. So, you know, it was born out of that as we came back and we launched Ken Lundy and Associates five years ago. And I'm you know, proud to say we're helping, you know, B2B brands every single day, make sure that they are able to actually grow their companies in a way that will help not only them as the founder or the owner, but will give a future to their employees. And so, you know, that's kind of where the passion started. That's a great story. So when you were helping companies, do you have any specific strategy that you recommend? So is there any specific path that a company can follow to grow their business? Yeah, you bet. We've got something that we've created called the Sales Alpha Roadmap. And what it really comes down to is the step-by-step -step systematic way to make sure that you have predictable growth of your business. And so it goes through various things, which we can get into later, but essentially it says... Let's do the first thing first and let's get it right before we move on to the second thing. As an example, we talk about, say, product market fit and messaging. Most people, as you talk about communicating and otherwise, they kind of rush through that because they're trying to get a buck. Somebody pay me for something. Well, the problem is when we don't do that really well, it costs us more to acquire customers later, right? We get to, not only does it cost more to acquire them, we get to sell the product for less. The sales cycle takes longer. And so we're big proponents on, you got to go through and you have to essentially kind of get to a great hypothesis and something that you can master in each phase before you move forward. You know, otherwise you'll never maximize uh, the total value of your offering and its impact on your clients. 
So how to do this, how to start and to make sure that our product fits the market? Yeah, I think it goes a lot with the ideas that you talk about every day, you know, and it's really about the idea of communicating. So we have a, a venture capital company called GrowthX in the United States that we work with. And one of the things that Max and Andrew say all the time is they say, we want learn it alls, not know it alls. And so they do a really good job of explaining what does that mean, you know, in the early stages of product development. And what that means is we have to change the reason we're selling the product. Early on in this stage of your company, what you want to be doing is selling the product to learn what people value. And you want to make sure you've got a nice tight feedback loop. But too often we just go, hey, can we get another buck? Can we get another buck? Instead of for remembering that we need to go communicate with people so we can find out what's going on in their world. And then if you fast forward that a little further, say you've had some success and you're doing 5 million, 10 million. We've seen it in much larger companies doing 200 million or a billion bucks. But say you're at five or 10 million now and you're like, oh, we've got this thing figured out. Well, the problem is you move past that ability. And so you're not actually, you don't understand your customer because it's those early days when you communicate and you seek the feedback that you figure out what is it that the person sitting in the seat using or buying your product, what's the impact you're making on their world that you're not actually talking about? So like go ask, I'll give you one question that your listeners can ask and go ask your customer, your clients, say, okay, I have two questions for me. Tell me why you bought us and tell me why you never want to see us go away. And those tend to be two completely different answers. And we as businesses often don't know why they'll never see us go away. And that's the one that will unlock hearts, minds, and wallets of your clients. Yeah, indeed. Uh, very often we are selling one thing, but in fact, our customers are buying something completely different, maybe on the emotional level, right? Yeah. So we need to figure it out and to incorporate this in our communication somehow, right? Yeah. And that's like, if you look at, you know, the world tends to write very poor marketing and you know, sales messages, because what we write about it, we write about our product or our service. Here's the truth. Nobody cares about you, your product or your service. <laughs> they only care about themselves. And so if you can't say how you fit in their world, change their world, whether it's emotionally, business, financial, whatever, you know, as an example, like I talk to software companies all the time and I go, why do people buy your product? I'll ask the sales force. Oh, they want better reporting. And I'm like, huh, I don't know a single CEO who has ever woken up in the middle of the night and said, you know what? I'd really love to spend $50,000 on better reports. You know, what they say is I'll spend $50,000 every day of the month on something that helps me run my business better, reduces expenses, increases revenue, or gives me a strategic competitive advantage. So communicating, we got to communicate on that. Like, how do you figure out how your product impacts those things? You may have really cool colored reports, but what is the data and the things within that that allows them to run their business better, decrease expenses, increase revenue, or reduce risk? Yeah, yeah, you're totally right here. So you've been working with companies on their strategies for some time. And as we know, the last year, the last couple of years were a bit different and challenging due to pandemic. So what change do you see in the market and what new challenges companies have and new solutions that you suggest? Yeah, there's two sides of the coin. There's one, and not a lot of people talk about this, but there are industries that are just exploding, right? You've seen a lot of that in the pandemic, and you've seen that with kind of the, we're on Zoom right now, right? So you've seen that on Zoom and some of these video conferencing sort of software solutions. But there's other industries that are exploding. You know, the desire for software engineers is an example. So if you have a firm that's offering software engineering, you've done well, because now all of a sudden industries who never cared about it 
right? Or like, oh my gosh, I'm a trucking company and I need a mobile app when you didn't want one before the pandemic, right? So you have all these people pulling it. So you have a problem, you have a supply side problem with that. So that's the easy stuff. And that's not what you're asking about. But I just want to make sure we understand there's actually good stuff too. The bad, the hard part about this is for the businesses where it's not that obvious, like when there isn't an obvious solution, we have to think about big picture, the following. So 9-11 was a, you know, a tragic time in American history for sure. And there are pieces of what happened in 9-11 that lasted one year. And there are pieces of what happened after 9-11 that have lasted until today, right? The way behaviors have changed. And so what I would say, for the number one thing that you have to kind of identify from a larger strategic level is what behaviors do you think will change if you're selling to a consumer or a company? So maybe their appetite for risk has decreased, right? Maybe the idea of being in close proximity, whereas we used to want everybody to shake hands and hug, maybe we don't want that happening, right? What are the things that can stay? So I'd say the first thing you have to do is figure out what are the things that are changing? And then you really have to clearly articulate how your solution helps that message. So as an example, I went to the doctor earlier this week for something with my arm, and then I went to another event and they had two different approaches to how they would do contactless opening of doors. One was not really contactless and the other one was. So one of them was they had some sort of disposable thing on the door that you could pull on the handle, right? You could see the film and it said it was safe. And that's a commercial property building. The other one was actually they had installed a contactless way where you literally waved your hand in front of a thing that was not on the door and the door opened. So it wasn't the old time pad that used to walk up, it could be retrofitted. And so those are ideas of, hey, how long are people going to be worried about some sort of pandemic situation happening. So those are just examples of you got to think about it that way. But then the real question becomes, how are you going to message it and communicate the value beyond today? Because you better align to something that matters 12 months out or it won't matter. So we need to think also about the strategy in the long run, not only how to adapt today, right? And I can see that many companies, they are already coming up with those long-term strategies. And what about sales strategies? So you say that we need to show the value. We need to make sure that our product fits the market. What else can we do to make sure that we really boost our sales? Yeah, I think the probably the absolute number one thing is we've got to be better at value development. And what I mean by value development is most customers come to us with a perceived pain. There's a reason they're talking to us that they think is a reason to talk to us. But most of the time, what we find out is that's actually just a symptom and that's not the real disease, right? Most of the time they're coming to us, you know, so let's say as an example, Lena, that I came to you and I wanted you to help me get on a TEDx stage, okay? So I want you to help me get on a TEDx stage. And I think it's because, you know, my original 10 is, wow, that'd be really cool for just personal professional exposure. I don't know what your fee is, so let's not talk about that here. But let's say that you tell me the fee is higher and I think it should be. Well, there's two things, right? You can either just tell me and I can walk away or you can say, well, Ken, I think you're kind of missing the point. Let's talk about what your other business goals are. What would that publicity do for your ability to grow your business, your experience as an authority in this space and your ability to differentiate yourself from everybody else? All of a sudden, oh, wait a second. There's a real business value here, right? And I think oftentimes we talk about that value development process in sales. We spend too much time letting the customer drive the conversation instead of asking thought-provoking questions about what else is going on. You know, if you've ever been to a doctor as an example and, you know, your back hurt, and the doctor says, get up off the gurney and walk to the door. It's not your back. Your knee's the problem. You're limping, which is causing you to get a hitch in your giddy up. So 
I think we just have to do a much better job. I, you know, I've seen people say prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. I think we could say that's probably true in sales as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that it really works indeed. And the example that you gave is I'm having such conversations from time to time with the people who want to work with me because indeed becoming a TEDx speaker, many people want to do this because they treat it as kind of this shiny object, you know, TEDx speaker in their bio. <laughs> and yeah. uh, this is the value that they see. But indeed, when they actually realize what does it mean for them, what it will give them, that they can boost their exposure, their business, and so on, then they can really see the value or they can see even bigger value in this. So you're absolutely right here. And we need to first understand it ourselves. I think that we need to understand what is the real value of our product. What is this that we are selling to know all the benefits and only then to, we will be able to ask those thought-provoking questions because if you don't know the benefits yourself, then yeah. you're not able to sell it in the proper way, right? That's correct. And I think, so I'll give you one question. So you don't even have to know the benefits yourself, but you can start to learn what people want. So oftentimes, you know, we preach a process called the perfect meeting that we use throughout the whole sales process and in like a, a very first call, a discovery call. And so one of the questions that we will have our teams ask is they will say, hey, so if just for a second, let's assume that you've made a decision, whether it's with us or one of our competitors to do something like this. 12 to 18 months after you've made that decision, what do you hope the impact's been on your business? Because look, then I'm starting big picture because here's the deal. If you ask somebody, hey, why are you here? They're looking down at their desk in the stacks of papers and problems today. If I time box it and I tell them, hey, look at a year. So if you have a high value solution that's generated in order to provide a benefit that lasts, that really realizes itself a year out, let's not let the people analyze us based on our features today and our price today. Let's talk about the impact they want, right? If they're going to reduce costs, if they're going to make it easier to work remote from home, if they're going to be able to get rid of all their real estate, because now they have a really fantastic remote option where everybody's integrated and you can hold the company culture, we'll get them to pay more than just the idea of, oh, we want some cool little remote thing. So I think that's a, you know, I would tell you that's a question that we've used across every single industry we've worked in. And it tends to open the floodgates when you're dealing with like a champion or somebody has the ability to write the check. Yeah, yeah. And this is a great question because in a way you're selling the vision of this person, the vision, what are they expecting to get in one year? So, and you mentioned the perfect meeting structure. So what other questions would you recommend for short, let's say, let's not speak about the long sales process, but just if someone has a discovery call and short conversation about their product, what other questions would you recommend to ask? So I think that 12 to 18 month question lets you go a lot of places because it's not really about what other questions, but it's about what type of questions. So people talk about open-ended questions, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, something like that. What would you expect in the next 12 to 18 months, right? They talk about closed-ended question, right? Are you having a good day today? Yes or no, right? Closed-ended question. And one of the things that we've just kind of made it up and I don't know, maybe it's because we're silly, but um, we've made up something we call a question expander. Right. And what we talk about that is, is a question expander is just something that lets you to communicate like you're in a regular conversation, like you'd be at a restaurant or a party with your friends. Because too often in sales, what we end up doing is somebody gives us an answer. We repeat the answer back to them. And then we ask a question. We're having a, whether it's a lemonade or a cocktail, that's not how we're going to talk. Right. I'm going to go, really? Why is that? Tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. What makes you think that? 
And so those types of questions, that's the question expanders. And those are the gold because they get us to continue somebody on the train of thought that they're on. Because what we're trying to do in sales is, you know, I don't, it's just, if anyone's ever been to like a bowling alley, they've got these gutters where you can throw a ball in and it, you don't score points, right? Yeah. But when you have kids, you can put up these little gutter guards, right? And they bounce back and forth off the thing. And then eventually they hit the pins and it's fantastic. Or if you're with a bunch of adults or unathletic, it works that way too. So, but what we think about the sales process and the sales conversations, you are just there to put the gutter guards in. We still want the prospect to follow the natural flow of how they think, because we learn a lot in that. And so I would tell you that when you're having conversations, instead of me giving everybody a list of 37 fantastic sales questions, shorten your questions just to get people to continue their train of thought, right? Why do you think that? Wow. I didn't think so. That's interesting. And that silence, right, will fill up. And so I think that's the best way to expand the conversations into a place where you can actually hear what their true motivations are and how you might align yourself and your solution to the things that they're thinking about. Because when you get feature benefit oriented, you're just like checking a list. Hey, we have this thing and we integrate with this and our API is this and our thing. Like when you start doing that, your price becomes very, very sensitive. It gets commoditized. And you get the number one thing you really do though, is you take all of the emotion out of the decision for the person who's buying. Because I don't care if you're selling, I mean, we've sold the chief technology offers of the biggest companies in the world. Emotion still plays a role in that decision because we're easing their burden and we're helping them do stuff that they can't do without us. So by doing those types of questions, you can bring the emotion back in, get a better connection with your prospects and ultimately sell more stuff. Yeah, that's great. So we need to connect with them, ask questions, ask some follow-up questions, let them talk, listen, right? Not to just mention all of the benefit that we offer, but ask them what benefits they expect. I think that this is really a great strategy. So Ken, what about the companies that want to, for example, adapt their product to the new market? Yeah. They want to introduce the new product or enter the new market. What uh, strategy do you suggest in this case? Well, probably the number one strategy is don't adapt and launch a new product because you think your customers will like it. Call your customers and simply say, ask the following question. What's the biggest problem you're facing today that you can't solve, right? Go ask 10 people. When seven of them tell you the same answer, hmm, it might be worth trying to get to a most, you know, an MVP, a minimum viable product, right? So first of all, that's the other problem we have. We don't, in not communicating outside with our outside, with the people who are going to buy and sell the product. Like we want people, it's cool that all your friends think you're great, right? But if they're not willing to exchange money to get your product, it's meaningless when it comes to product development. And so we have to know that. And so if you're going to launch a new product, first of all, you have to go have those conversations about that product, right? Second thing is, after you've asked that, you better understand why it's a big problem to them and what the second and third impact of that is. Because if you're just going to sell, oh, we do this, you know, A, B, and C, you can't maximize value. You can't get pricing. You don't understand the person. So I'd say, ask the customer the question. And then really, really, you should understand your customer and their challenges better than they're able to actually speak about it. And so I'd say those are kind of the really the first two things. I know it sounds simplistic, so I apologize, but everybody misses that. They launch products and services because they've got some people standing in the back room who think that they can actually, I don't know, guess what everybody wants. So yeah, you should actually like, we're in the process of launching a new product and service right now too. And the way we're doing it, we're talking to people because it's the cheapest way to do it too, right? I make a phone call. I mean, 
Nowadays, it doesn't even cost you. The old days, you know, I'm an old guy. The old days, it cost you X cents a minute to actually make that phone call. Now I can just pick them up and say, hey, what do you think? So those are probably the two biggest pieces of advice I can give. And then from there, probably the number three is don't be arrogant, which sounds silly, but the way you speak about your product and services to your internal team will determine whether or not it has a chance to succeed. So I know we talk about sprints and waterfall project management, all the silliness, right? But you should really be talking about, this is our first hypothesis. If you're going to launch a product, have a hypothesis. You're going to launch a messaging machine, have a hypothesis. Every sales campaign we launch is based upon a hypothesis and we 100% expect that we're going to have to change the messaging. Now it's all best practices, so it's pretty cool, but it still doesn't mean that in every industry, there doesn't take tweaks and changes to maximize the impact. So I think those are kind of the three things I'd think about. Perfect. Perfect. So to sum up our conversation, the last question I have is what would you recommend to a company which wants to scale their business to increase the sales? So the main tips, where to start with, what strategy to incorporate? Well, the obvious answer is to talk to someone like us, so, so, you know, um, and I think that depends where you are. So like we have different programs that we work with that helps like with our market acceleration programs, product market fit, our revenue acceleration program is about installing the process of sales. And so in that process, it goes anywhere from founder led sales to team based to team based and scaling. And I think the number one thing that I can tell you, the progress looks like this. If you're a founder who is looking to actually get salespeople in, understand something. The stuff has to come out of your head and has to be going to a repeatable process. And that process should be based on best practices and it should match in the sales process itself should match the buyer's buying cycle, right? So let's say you're past the founder led sales already and you've got a few salespeople. Well, if you're in that stage, you're probably having problems with them. They're probably not hitting quota. As we know, over 50% of salespeople don't in general, let alone those working for small companies who haven't put the correct infrastructure in to where they have you know, they know what daily success looks like and they're just trying to manage success by, oh, did they hit their sales number? So in the process of sales, I would say that's a big piece of where you absolutely, there's resources online, there's people like us, but that's where you absolutely want to go through. How do I put in a process that's repeatable by somebody besides me? Because a founder's dilemma is this, like, you know, they have technical founders and non-technical founders and a founder's dilemma goes like this. I'm not a salesperson. How in the heck am I the best salesperson I've ever had? Well, the answer is because you know more about it, you're passionate about it. And because quite frankly, the founder is always going to outsell their salespeople up until they're doing somewhere north of probably 10 million bucks. And they've had some time to refine those systems. And so you have to be able to put the systems in place, the messaging, the discovery, the things that you do intuitively, unfortunately, nobody else has your intuition. So that's what I would say about that. You've definitely got to have, you know, we believe that sales is not a black box and it's a repeatable, predictable, systematic process that can be installed regardless of your company's products and services. And so that's the way you have to address that concern. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ken, for all your tips and insights. So if our listeners want to contact you to ask some more questions, where can they find you? Perfect. Probably the two best places. So one is our website at kenlundin.com, which I'm sure will probably be in the show notes. And it's spelled L-U-N-D-I-N is the last part of it. Second, though, what I really love is when we're on podcasts and uh, listeners will reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn and give me a little note and tell me that you are here with uh, my conversation with Elena. If you do that, we'll actually give you a free kind of 30 minute strategy session where I promise we won't sell you anything because we don't know you. So, but we'll sit and have a conversation with you. What's going on in your world? What are some viable next steps? Just because it's part of our way of giving back to the community that's been so generous for us. 
Perfect. I will definitely share this in our show notes. Thank you so much for offering this. And it was a pleasure talking to you, Ken. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ideas and Leaders podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? Let me know that you listened by tagging me in your LinkedIn profile and using a hashtag Ideas and Leaders. See you in the next episode.